chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. In the word of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God. In Christ, you have revealed your glory among all nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. When we're speaking of the scriptures, there's a saying in the, um, in the liturgy that often ends the reading of scripture. Often when a, when a minister would read a portion of scripture as I've just done, he'll say the word of God for the people of God and the response of the congregation would be, thanks be to God. And it's important for us to remember that when God has entrusted His Word to us, He has entrusted it to His church, and He's given us His Word through these writings that we call Scripture. And these writings that He has given to His people are a sort of self-disclosure. We speak of the Bible, we speak of kind of the created order, we speak of it, of the incarnation of Jesus as the revelation of God. And when we speak of the revelation of God, we're not talking about a spooky book at the end of our Bibles, but instead we're talking about how God has pulled back the curtain on reality so that we might peer in and so that we might learn who He is what He's done, and specifically what He has done to redeem us as His people. And so the entire text of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation can be spoken of as kind of a a three-part drama or a three-part play dealing with creation, fall, and then redemption. And redemption is not just the cross, that is the pinnacle of redemption, But redemption is about how God throughout history has has come to His people. He's not left us alone. He's not left us 
off by ourselves in the choices of, of, of damage and destruction that we've made for ourselves. But instead, God is the one who comes to us and He comes offering hope and He comes offering peace. He comes offering restoration. And He promises us that in the end, He will restore all things. That He will put the world back together. The world that we have ruined. The world that we have drugged down with us in our fall. He will put it back together. And so even before the birth of Jesus, you have messengers, the prophets, who, who came to God's people and promised hope and promised healing and promised them the restoration of their lives and the restoration of their world, promised them a land and promised them uh, to be brought back into that land even though they had, they had fallen yet again. And so all throughout the narrative of Scripture, you have this, this recurring uh, sequence of creation and fall and redemption. The Scriptures, God's Word for His people. And we ought to give thanks for, for them because He has made Himself known. And in making Himself known, He gives to us an invitation. He invites us to come. He invites us to peer in. He invites us to, to take a look at what He's doing. You see, our relationship with the Scriptures ought to be more, much, much more than simply memorizing a few verses here and there. Scripture memory is, is, is an incredible gift. But we are called to do far more than just memorize a famous passage. We are called to incorporate the Scriptures into our lives. We're called to do much more than just simply following a set of rules. This is, this is more, this book is so much more than just a trusty divine toolkit for how we ought to live our lives. Instead, it is God's revelation to us. It is God showing us how we were created to be and offering us the hope that He can put our lives Back together. And so if we're to receive that invitation, if we are to answer that invitation in the affirmative, that Lord, we do want Your plan for our lives, we must be ready to do far more than just memorizing Scripture or far more than just pulling a verse here and there and trying to, to apply it to our lives. We must learn to think biblically and we must learn to live biblically. Now, I don't want to discourage Scripture memory. I've already said that's an incredible tool that God has given to us. But if our relationship with the Bible is just to memorize a few verses here and there, then we're not living in the light that God has given us. He wants us to think in a biblical way. And He wants us to live in a biblical way. The Jewish people uh, from centuries and centuries ago spoke of Torah-keeping. And Torah is that Hebrew word that we translate it law, but it, a better translation of that word Torah is instruction. It is not just a set of rules that God gives to His people as though He's wanted to come up with, with an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts. But instead, Torah and Torah keeping is about God's instruction for how life works. How relationships work. How society works. 
He's the one that created us. He's the one that manufactured this body. He's the one that manufactured this soul. He is the one who's put together marriages. He's the one that's put together communities. And so it is, it is in some sense, a responsibility on God's part as Creator to give to us the instructions for how life works, for how marriage works, for how community and life within a community works. And so He gives us His Word. He gives us Scripture. If we're to approach the Scripture, we must approach with the anticipation and with the responsibility to look and listen. And Jesus said in, throughout the Gospels, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I remember reading um, Thomas Oden's testimony. He's a, an incredible Methodist uh, theologian, a historic uh, theologian. Uh, and he talks about his, his, uh, his conversion. And he said that he was meeting with, I believe it was a, uh, a Jewish man, and, and the Jewish man said, your problem, Tom, is you don't know how to read. And Thomas Oden was taken back quite a bit by that. He was a scholar, an incredible scholar. He'd read thousands of pages of hundreds of books, probably thousands of books at that time. He said, what do you mean I don't know how to read? Too often in life, we fail to live in the truth of God's Word because we don't know how to read it. We don't know how to stop and to look and listen. If we are to, if we are to take seriously the Scriptures, if we're wanting to be people of the book, then we must be serious about looking and listening. We've got to interact with the text. We've got to spend time before it. We've got to spend time in it. Our relationship with the Bible has to be more than just reading a single verse at the top of a devotional page each day. If you're not doing that, please, by all means, start doing that. You need devotional reading in your life. But if we are going to take seriously the invitation that we've been given to think and live biblically, we must be able and willing to invest some time looking and listening. We've got to hear what the text is telling us. If we're to take seriously this book as God's word to His people, then we've got to be willing to hear and obey. I think it was last week when I was meeting with the kids up here for the children's sermon. I, I mentioned that old, uh, that ancient adage, to hear is to obey. You remember the, uh, the Apostle James in his New Testament epistle said that we ought to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And in the ancient world, indeed, to listen was to obey. It's the, uh, that's what, what rests behind that statement we make to our kids. Apparently you didn't hear me. I said, clean up your room. You know, we're not just being sarcastic. We're actually being ancient scholars when we say that. 
Because that's what it meant to hear in the ancient world. It meant to, to actually have what is being said register and then to act upon it. Which brings up the, a, a, uh, an issue of authority, really. Because you actually pay attention to those things that you think have some measure of authority in your life. Now you may think, well, not all the time. What about movies? You know, I pay attention when I turn them. I'm terrible about paying attention to a movie because I get stuck on what I just missed and then I'm trying to get caught up and I'm asking Lindsay, what just happened? Wait a minute, am I supposed to know something yet? And she's like, shut up and just listen. Pay attention. But, but even, even if we're talking about a, a movie and talking about paying attention so that you can hear, you're, you're still giving some measure of authority to that movie. You're saying that movie has some value in it for me. I at least want to know what's happening. I want to be able to follow the plot, even if I'm not going to try to live out the plot in some weird way. I, I want to know what it is because I want to either be in the know or I want to be entertained for a little bit. I want to relax for, for a little bit. And so we are putting some measure of authority into those things that we stop and pay attention to. You'll remember that uh, Saul, King Saul, in the Old Testament, when he offered a, sa- a sacrifice before God, before he took his troops into battle, which was not his responsibility to do, and he was not prepared to do it, he was not called to do it, he did it because, well, if we're going into battle and the prophet's not here, Sacrifice has to be offered because we've got to get God on our side. Fine, I'm going to go ahead and offer a sacrifice. And just as he's, as he's finishing the sacrifice, here comes Samuel the prophet over the, the hilltop. And when Samuel gets to him, he says, Saul, what have you done? Immediately, Saul knows what he's done. He's not just offered a sacrifice. He has blatantly disobeyed Yahweh. He has taken matters into his own hands and he has done what he ought not to have done. You remember the prophet Samuel said to him, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice, even in our lives. And we cannot obey God unless we are willing to stop, unless we're willing to look and listen, unless we're willing to hear, then we can obey. We must put ourselves under the tutelage of Scripture. We must approach the Scripture as students who are ready to hear, who are ready to listen, who are ready to look at what God has made known to us so that we might obey, not as, not as pawns in God's game, but as people who want to live lives that are not just fulfilled, but are richly fulfilled. Lives that are lived according to God's plan. If we are to take seriously this book in our lives, we've got to be ready to not just look at and listen, not just hear and obey, but we've got to be ready also to study 
and apply. And notice I left apply here for the end. Typically, we get the cart. We like to get the cart before the horse. I think there's something about us in our uh, in our in our culture, specifically as as good strong Americans. We we like to be doing something. We like activity. We feel as though uh, we're not we're not doing enough if we're not doing much. And so we want to apply Scripture before we're willing to stop and listen and understand it. But if we are to apply the Word of God, we've got to be ready to study His Word. We often cause a variety and a a, a pile of damage by taking passages of Scripture and misusing them, sometimes misusing them against others. We, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we find ourselves beating others up with the scriptures. We'll take a verse like train up a child in the way he should go and in the end he'll not depart from it. And we look at a good Christian family and we see that their kids are living wayward lives and we think, what'd you do? You blew something. Because we're just grabbing a, a text out of its context and we're using it in an inappropriate way. We, we, we like to say things like God doesn't listen He doesn't hear the prayers of the unrighteous. So does that mean they might as well just stop praying? We read passages in Psalms and in Peter's second epistle, a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. And then we try to come up with systems of the end times and how many years are going to pass because he said this many days and if that many days means that many thousands of years, then okay, we can come up with a calculated way of figuring out when Christ is going to return. And in the meantime, we make the church a laughing stock to everyone on YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else where you've got the end is near, countdown, three more days left. I remember in, uh, in college, one of my uh, professors used to say, if you take a text out of context, all you have left is a con. Um, I remember Pastor Lane used to say, if you take a text out of its context, you're left with a pretext. And added on to that, uh, Dr. Ben Witherington up at Asbury says, if you take a text out of its context, you're left with a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. In other words, I can pull this phrase, or I can pull this verse, or I can pull this thought, and I can remove it from what is actually being said there, and I can make it say whatever I want. Such as train up a child in the way he should go. I can lock on to that and say, okay, well, if the, if the book said that, then that means that if my child is, is making decisions that I disagree with, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my parenting. There's something wrong with my parenting model. I'm just not doing it right. All the while, this is just a quick contextual help here. All the while we forget that that's in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is concerned with telling us how life is supposed to work. When the playing field is leveled, when life is as it ought to be, here is how it works. It ought to be 
that if you train up a child, if a parent takes seriously God's call in their lives to invest in their children and to disciple their children, that in the end, that child ought to be modeling discipleship in his own life. But what happens when that child wants to do something else? What happens when that child listens to other voices? God has given to us His book. And it's a book that He wants us to know how to read. It's a book that He wants us to read. But it's a book He wants us to know how to read. It's a book that He wants us to be able to digest. And if we are to take seriously this book that God has given to us, if we are to take seriously the call that we have to read it and to keep it, to think biblically and to live biblically, we've got to be able to spend some time looking and listening. We've got to be real about hearing and obeying. And we've got to be able to invest some energy in studying and applying. I want to offer you an invitation. During the month of November, we'll be getting the, um, the details out. But on Sunday evenings in November, I want to invite you to, uh, to mine and Lindsay's home. And we're going to be doing some Bible study uh, throughout those, those weeks of November. That first Sunday in November, we're going to have just a, a prayer meeting. We won't begin the actual studying that week. But, uh, but there, are, there are weeks following that first week. During those weeks, we'll be, we'll be going through a Bible study method where we'll be learning together. And all of us need to constantly be learning together. Um, but we'll be learning together how we study Scripture. And so if you're, if you're the note-taking type, go ahead and write that down. Sunday evenings, November. I believe it'll be 6 o'clock. I told you I'll get the details to you. But uh, 6 o'clock on, on Sunday evenings in November. We want to have you over to the house. And we're going to be, we'll have handouts and we'll have, um, uh, we'll probably have a, a, a dry erase board, Bill, so we can write out some notes and that sort of thing. But we'll be looking together at how we can be students of the Word. Because if we become students of the Word, then we can become obedient students of the Word. And we can think biblically and live biblically so that we can, in a, in a very real and tangible way, give thanks to God for the fact that He's given His Word to us. So that's my invitation to you. Come to our home on Sunday evenings in November and we'll be, we'll be going through a Bible study method uh, so that we can all learn better how to be students of the Word. God's invitation to you is to look and listen. And if we're to look and listen, we've got to be willing to practice a little bit of humility. Because those who look and listen know that there's something here that I want to see. 
There's something here that, that I don't know about. There's something here I haven't seen yet. There's something here that, that I'm in the dark on. And so there has to be a measure of humility in our lives if we're going to stop so that we might look and listen. And God invites us to practice humility, to come to His Word thirsty, to come to His Word hungry, to come to His Word and say, I need what is here because I am lacking. So He invites us to humility. He invites us also to, to submission. If we come to this book as a book that has authority over our lives, then our posture ought to be to put ourselves under it, to submit. To say, Lord, my life is bigger and far too important for me to have my hands all over the controls. I need to hear from you and I need to be able to obey you. I submit myself. I put myself under your instruction. And he invites us to, dis to discipline. He invites us to learn. He invites us to work. He invites us to be taught. To be shaped. He calls us to be students. And to be a good student requires a little bit of these three elements. A humble posture. A submissive posture. And a posture that is ready to be discipled. A posture that is ready to be worked on and to be led. Now you'll notice these three things are... We typically don't associate these with good things, right? Yeah, we like meeting people who are humble, but we don't like being humble ourselves. We like... We like feeling a little bit of confidence. We know what we know and we do what we do and we're good at it. <clears throat> Submission is, is a kind of a, a taboo word in our culture. We think of it as, well, who's lording over you if you're submitting? We think of it as a power play. And discipline, I mean, we live for all of the, the working that we like to do we, uh, we certainly like to live very undisciplined lives. But if we are to approach the Scriptures in the way that God invites us to approach them, we must approach them humbly, submissively, and ready. Ready to be taught and to work. This is really an invitation to be countercultural. Because those... Those three elements, humility, submission, discipline, those are, not, those are not readily found in our culture. But God calls us to come and to be trendsetters in a way. You know, what, would, what would our culture look like in just a generation's time? If Christian people who say they are people of this book would actually start living out in their lives in tangible and radical ways the call of this book. What would it look like 
in our culture, in just a generation's time, if people actually started taking the Gospels seriously, started saying, you know what, I'm going to try to live out the Sermon on the Mount. You know what, I'm going to try to live out in this community that I, that I call my church. I'm going, to, I'm going to start trying to live out what it means to love my neighbor as myself, to forgive one another, and to bear with one another. What would our culture look like in just a generation's time if families and moms and dads and husbands and wives started putting themselves under the authority of Scripture and say, I'm going to love my, my wife as the Scriptures Call me to love my wife. And they tell me that I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church and He gave up His life for her. God invites us. Countercultural though it may be, He invites us to come to the table whereupon is this book laid. And He calls us to read it, to digest it, to live it, to think biblically, to live biblically. And we must be serious about doing that. If our kids are reading a, uh, a book, whether it be for school or whether it just be for a fun passage of time. It's reading is fun. That's right, kids. And they're just reading a, a sentence or two here and there. How in the world are they ever going to know what the story's about? How in the world are they ever going to learn something from that book? Even if it's just a fun book. Imogene's currently reading Matilda by Roald Dahl. You know what she did? She started at the beginning and she's been just plowing through reading chapter after chapter. Now sometimes she needs a little bit of discipline from her mom and dad and she has to submit to us and we say get get on that front porch and read it's a more lovely place to read out there than it is sitting in a classroom with 25 other kids get out there and read enjoy it but if we are to take seriously the authority that we say this book has over our lives we've got to be willing to read it we've got to be willing to spend some time with it. And we've got to be willing to not just hear it, but to do it. To obey. We need to be people of the book. We need to be people who take seriously what God has said to us as His people. Let's pray.